Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we are talking to Alina Vanderberg from Chili Piper and how she deployed new revenue motions at scale. Enjoy. But it was more like the, the banter introduction. Oh, the banter. Yeah, you just push the button and then expect me to go with the banter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I can tell you that, uh, so before I went on holiday, uh, mm. I didn't get a lot of sleep. And, and you still don't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> no, no, now it's flipped in the opposite. We got back from holiday and now back to work. And all of a sudden I'm sleeping in for like 45 minutes. And the kids, they just get out of bed and start playing. And all of a sudden you walk into the living room and everything's a mess. It's like, why didn't I wake up sooner? And you still feel completely wrecked. Okay, now now the following the following question. How are you going to Shanghai this into introducing our wonderful guest we have on the Well, let's just say the mornings uh, have gotten a little bit more spicy. Ah, wow. <laughs> yeah, that a little that bit brings more me to the other question. Why is there chili sauce and a chili pepper on the table? So uh, you might have seen this uh, emoji. I'm, I mean, you're listening to the show most likely right yeah. now. So you can't see it, but I'm holding a red chili pepper. And you've probably seen that emoji on uh, LinkedIn. I at least have, and for me, it's kind of a part of uh, this wonderful company called Chili Piper. And today, uh, we have Alina Vanderberg from uh, Chili Piper joining us. So, uh, welcome, Alina. So, Miguel, are you telling me that in the past couple of mornings you've tried hot sauce in your in your breakfast coffee? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No, I haven't tried that. Uh, I've not gotten that crazy though. It's a Danish thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I am. With a pickle of sardines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's a true story. I'm always the one putting spicy stuff on the food at home and then joke with my five-year-old son, like, so how much chili do you want? He's like, no! Yeah, uh, the same thing. <laughs> That's funny. Alina, thank you so much for being here, for spending some time with us and chatting with us today about scaling scaling motions. Uh, really looking forward to it. Always uh, up for some humor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. So I read, by the way, I think this was on your LinkedIn. It said chili piper and then dot, 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 dot powered by espresso and hot sauce. So it's, I guess uh, chili and hot sauce is really deeply ingrained in the culture there. So the hot sauce comes from me and the espresso comes from my co-founder. He drinks, <laughs> I don't know, maybe 10 espressos a day. And he decided to uh, gift everybody, because we were remote, he sent espresso yeah. machines to everybody <laughs> just to make sure that they have their dose of, of caffeine, you know. And did you send then hot <laughs> sauce to everyone? And I am the one sending the hot sauce, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so, but uh, one of the cool things I've seen, uh, I, I saw a graph of your growth, uh, really the path you went basically bootstrapped to 3 million, which was really cool. And I'm, I mean, we're going to get into some of the stuff, but then went to uh, 7 and 35 million and really grown super fast uh, in the last couple of years. I also heard you have a really high net retention rate, which is pretty excellent. So some of this stuff we'll get into now. But really what we wanted to talk about with you is how do you orchestrate revenue motions at scale? That's mm -hmm. really the interesting piece, uh, especially considering you're, uh, you have a distributed team remote. But first off, I think it's just really helpful for us to level set a bit. When we talk about motions, what does that actually mean to mm -hmm. you? It's been a wild ride from the bootstrapping years. Even when you said it, it transported me back in uh, uh, such a different time uh, where our emotion was just one. Um, yeah. And um, <laughs> what I mean by that was the lever to growth. In the early days, the main uh, growth lever was events, in-person events. 
I'm still very bullish on that. I know that we're selling SaaS software and I know that it can be uh, sold anywhere in the world and we're distributed everywhere. We're in 40 countries. And yet there's something special about meeting people in person and connecting them in real life and touching them. I don't know, maybe not touching them, but, you know, uh, knowing that they're around. Um, it uh, forms a kind of connection that... Um, are hard to describe, but are a lot more powerful than an email, are a lot more powerful than um, a call, are a lot more powerful than a video. And um, we managed at that time to get to 3 million just through that, just to events, so that was a motion. Um, all the way until my co-founder, we were six at that time, was managing to close 100K by himself with no support, all from our presence at events. And now, the levers are so diverse in our team that at scale, I'm feeling that um, without that diversity is really, really hard to put your eggs in just one basket because you don't know if COVID hits and then you no longer have the events as a lever. You don't know if Google is going to change something in the algorithm and you're no longer going to be able to have the same low acquisition costs for your uh, uh, pipeline. So I have... Uh, a, a lot of um, actions and a lot of levers these days that are contributing to our growth. And and maybe kind of just kind of double clicking on this for a second. So really a motion for you means, you know, other people would maybe call it a revenue stream or something like this. In your case, you mentioned starting with events. So events was a, you know, face-to-face -face events was really a, a starting point for you. And then it might be online marketing driven maybe by Google, or then it might be online marketing driven by uh, let's say LinkedIn or Facebook, wherever you could do ads, it might be outbound, it might be partners, it might be product-led growth and so forth. And all the above, yeah. You know, when, when, yeah. when, we, when, we, when we're talking about motions, that's, that's, how you, that's how you would separate a motion from another, right? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think what's really interesting maybe kind of to tap on first is you, you mentioned the uh, events piece was really what, you know, got you to 3 million, you know, first. And then COVID did, in fact, ha hit. I mean, you, you just mentioned it as a, as a byline, actually. Tell us a little bit what happened in the organization when suddenly your, your main motion, your main revenue stream in that sense suddenly broke away. Did you already have something else built up that could step in? Or, you know, how did, how did that situation unfold? Yeah, by, by then uh, we were uh, diversifying in our levers. Um, there were two bigger... Um, motions that could take over the events. One was LinkedIn. In that time, we were the early ones on LinkedIn that were making a lot of noise and um, that helped a lot. And the other one that's still been like, a, I still consider it a very um, strong driver for us. Might not be quite uh, what one would call a marketing uh, lever, but I do. Uh, which is um, a lot more customer support than one would assume for a company like ours. So when you buy the software, you expect that you're going to get uh, an implementation that matches what the product says and what you buy on the website. However, I didn't feel that was a differentiator because everybody can copy a product. And... Um, I've always felt that 
by going beyond with our customers, above and beyond, we can make them a lot more happier than what they expect. And as a result, they could tell a friend, hey, look at Chili Piper, they're doing things for us that are helping us beyond this product. And one could call that customer marketing, one could call that customer experience, one could call that, uh, I don't know, above and beyond uh, the customer love, but uh, we've been a lot more um, bullish on that because your customers and our customers are our best marketers, our best growth lever. If they're they're happy, they're going to tell someone and it's a lot more powerful when it comes from a friend or someone you know than if it comes from an ad or a place that you you are less likely to have trust in. So I was thinking um, when you had events kind of going, that's one motion running. Some companies, they don't even get to the point where they have one motion running, by the way. Um, but I think then you kind of mentioned, well, then you had a few other things to rely on. What were the steps from going you know, from one motion running to then getting to two and three? What was that process like for you? Very difficult for me personally. <laughs> um, I'm a first-time founder and before Chili Piper, I was an engineer and I was building products and I was very happy with not getting any attention. And I, I have very typical introvert where I would go to an event and I would be the one in the corner avoiding people's eyes and being a little bit awkward. So all the steps and all the motions have been very difficult for me in that they would require me to completely change my uh, way of being. And um, I guess it's the extreme forces that makes one to change. But every LinkedIn post has been difficult. Every YouTube video has been difficult. Every um, event that I went to has been difficult for me, at least at the beginning. Now it's gotten easier because it was so contrary to who I was. Obviously, after I discovered the benefits of being able to have conversations with people in person and having those social conversations and having that kind of impact, it gave me the strength that I needed to change. But I was completely uncomfortable and I continue to be completely <laughs> uncomfortable and I feel completely uh, stretched at all times. Um, but I'm the kind of person that finds a lot of comfort and the discomfort because I know if I am comfortable then there's something wrong yeah I think they also say very publicly when you're uncomfortable that's when you're kind of learning and growing right mm-hmm. out of the out of the comfort zone was it um so when you went from the one to to two to three motions I'm guessing you also had a team that needed to support here and be involved uh, can you tell me a little bit about how, how do you get the company on board as well to build some of those new motions Every motion requires a very different skill set and a different type of uh, energy behind it. On the social impact, for instance, not everybody feels comfortable being in the limelight and not everybody feels comfortable posting on social or on YouTube or on TikTok. Um, It's been interesting because... Once people start, they understand the benefits, but the starting point, it's what's a little bit tricky. We've had at the biggest of growth, about 250 employees, and the 
who the ones that managed to create a brand for themselves and create a, a, a strong LinkedIn following to, with our help have been the ones that have um, seen the impact of their work. For instance, um, we have at least two or three that have started uh, SaaS companies and are doing well. Um, there are some that have gone and now they're very successful freelancers and are the kind of micro, the fractional uh, expert that, that mm -hmm. manages to charge a lot. Um, so every motion had a bit of a, it required a lot of push to get started, but once things get started, it's a lot easier to explain to the rest of the team and to make things happen because it's not so much about one person. The entire team has to align behind it and everybody has to help. For instance, for events, it can never be one person. Uh, you're going to send several people at the event and they have to understand the kind of things that they need to bring as in part of the toolbox to be able to be successful, to create pipelines, to create connections, to create content. Um, so I would say that it's the beginning of the each motion that required a lot of push, but the adoption is a lot easier after two or three people kind of understand the main components of things and what the drivers and the metrics that can make that motion successful. And so, I mean, you guys had pretty explosive growth, right? So congratulations uh, on, on that one. Did you, I mean, typically, let's just say it like this, typically you would see companies uh, go the SDR and the outbound route, right? Was, was, that a, was that a motion that, that you also tried and played with or was this something that you avoided? How did you, how did you think about, you know, this motion, which usually supplements this marketing orchestration that also is going on? We uh, have a very successful outbound uh, motion as well. They're very profitable. Our team is amazing. And the reason why we decided to do it when we decided to do it was because that, because we knew that we had already created a brand. So we already had the power of the brand when someone would reach out, oh, Chili Piper kind of sounds familiar. And uh, I'm curious what they do. It only started, uh, we only started being bullish on it when we, know, when we knew that uh, the brand was known. Um, so I don't think that uh, Outbound can work otherwise, but yeah, that, that's, how we, uh, that's how we thought about it. I think, I think that's a really good point, actually. Um, really needing to have some of the brand background radiation in order to make the, the Outbound motion work out. I think some other folks would probably say like, well, um, really it's just an efficiency driver. If the brand is in the background, it might help you. But really to make that, you know, to make those unit economics work out, uh, I totally agree with you, right? There's, it's, it's, a much, it's a much smoother conversation and much higher conversion rate and all of these other things if you're, if you're ending up uh, having a, oh, wait a minute, Chili Pepper, I heard about that actually. Can you tell me a little bit more, right? I think, I think that, makes, um, uh, that, makes, uh, uh, that makes a bunch of sense, actually. It's a very interesting. Uh, I have observed that in Europe, founders tend to spend or think less about brand, whereas in the US, it's a very uh, top of mind for many founders. The brand concept was very esoteric to me as a first-time founder. The only thing that I could put a finger on in terms of brand was the fact that in order for myself to grow my career before I started Chili Piper, 
my own internal brand within the company was important to my ability to get promoted because when a manager has to push a promotion, that person has to have a kind of brand that allows for no detractors from that promotion, right? Yeah. And yep. um, I was thinking that how I built my brand and how I managed to grow my career fast, it's a very similar concept in, in companies. And the main thing that I was focused on when I was building my own brand was it's what people talk about when you're not in the room. What people remember when you're not in the room. It has you, have you done something to help them? Have you done something to impact them? And um, it was the same thing. I was thinking, okay, what would people say about Chili Pepper when they're not there? And I was a bit maniacal about that because it's very hard at the beginning to create a brand when the product is not that well known, when there's a such a hard time to grab someone's attention and now it's like becoming impossible with the sea bots of content. So I really focus on the things that could stand out at that time, the things that could be top of mind for people, that could be uh, uh, levers for, for, for brand. And even to these days, I measure brand awareness a lot and, and, and brand impact a lot. Despite um, having a clear coefficient of um, return of investment on it, I still think that without having that focus on things that elevate brand, you just become like everybody else and you just can't stand out. And, you know, it's a, you, you can buy a million tools to your, to your stack. You can pay attention to thousands of tools that, that can become part of your uh, growth levers, but uh, you'll only remember the ones that are top of mind. So it's an important mm. part. I think it's a key part of not becoming just a commodity, uh, essentially, right? Especially depending on what space you're in. I think you also said something really interesting that I want to kind of double click on. Um, you, you said, hey, we, we had to get the brand right before we could actually go and build Outbound. So when was it you, you kind of knew now we are at the point in time where we, we have sufficient awareness in the market to then go and build Outbound? And what were the initial steps you took uh, to kind of build that, that motion up uh, over at Chili Piper? We were lucky because uh, our ICP was uh, head of sales dev at the beginning. Um, so we were um, constantly on calls with uh, people that were driving that outbound motion. And we learned so much from them. We learned so much um, how the great ones were doing it because we were basically an enabler of meeting for SDRs. And that's how we started. We were... Um, allowing SDRs to book meetings for AEs in an um, equitable uh, fashion. So there was, fair, there was uh, fairness involved. There was a lot of routing and complexity as soon as the team grows in size. And um, we're basically exposed to the best SDR teams in the U.S. Um, and we're seeing how they were organizing their teams, how they were organizing their scripts, how they were organizing the cadences. It's been an unbelievable craft course in uh, Outbound. So we took those uh, lessons from the top SDRs and we uh, put them in motion uh, ourselves at the beginning. So when you say ourselves, you and your co-founder? Uh, my co-founder. At the beginning, 
we were splitting the responsibilities uh, very differently than we are now. Um, I was um, in charge of product and customer success. So I was still, when I was implementing the um, tool, I was still having those conversations with them. At that time, we also thought it was a good idea to blend customer success with account management. So I was kind of like an account manager to some extent. And my uh, co-founder was uh, doing the top of the funnel parts. So he was doing the SDRing and the account executive. Um, <laughs> now we have different uh, areas of, of focus, but um, we were approaching um, the learning from the lens of the, that full funnel. And he was focusing mm -hmm. top of the funnel. I was less, I was more uh, customer um, marketing, customer success. We've been kind of spending a little bit of time on this outbound thing, and maybe we want to stop this after this next question here, though. But uh, no, we love um, it. You have um, you are fully remote, right? It's a fully remote company, um, and has been from I guess day one, right? This was not a COVID thing. This was a from day one thing. Um, what we have seen is that a lot of folks struggle with a distributed or remote SDR setup. Um, do you have any? Hey, here are the three learnings we have in, in terms of, you know, making this work or what's the, is, is there such a thing? I'm, I'm just, I'm just wondering what's your perspective You're asking on this for is. the silver bullet. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you know what, to be fair, the three silver bullets. Yeah. Um, when we uh, decided to uh, do SDR uh, remote, everybody thought we were completely nuts. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, you cannot uh, create the energy that goes into a sales room when people are in their uh, bedrooms <laughs> next to their bed. Yeah. Um, it's um, interesting because um, when we started Chili Piper Remote, the goal was to attract the kind of talent that loves traveling and loves being in different places and exploring things. And it was a novel concept. At, but I didn't have a choice when we started because I didn't have the budgets to hire people in New York. People in New York were too expensive. So we were going to places where, where talent was uh, affordable, but still amazing talent. And um, it takes a kind of personality that might not work for anyone. The kind that wants to be driven for success even if they might be traveling, even if they might be in a certain place. So because we have that culture from the beginning and we're seeking that kind of talent that's self-motivated, um, it works. I do want to put an asterisk to it because it works to a certain extent. You still need that proximity to your colleagues to some regard. And we adjust for that. For instance, we have um, perk at Chili Piper that if you travel to a colleague, we pay for Airbnb and, and the food. Um, so it allows people to kind of go from Portugal to Spain to France to the Canary Islands. So people travel to see one another, to Amsterdam and to get together. And because they're getting together for a brief moment of time, as opposed to on an ongoing basis, there's that fear of missing out on the opportunity to connect to the best possible way. So they have beautiful experiences together that are bonding them in that way. So that's one of the asterisks on that. And we also have um, 
things that have broken the internet before where we get uh, together and we do crazy things. So it can't work without that uh, uh, additional proximity. It cannot work if you don't hire for those kind of people. And even if you do hire for self-driven people that say that they can work remote, the reality is that once you get into the grooves of things and you realize what there's like a perception that people have of what remote work is versus the reality. Because after three months of being with a computer, with a square, with just you talking to a, a square, it becomes a little bit defleeting. So we have an asterisk for that also in that um, I really think that it's um, important for those that work remote to get and be surrounded by others like them, even if they don't work in the same company, like in a remote office that could have um, just proximity to, to other kinds of, uh, other kinds of people. So there are a lot of asterisks and I think that there's one silver bullet is that it's something that has to come from the type of people you hire. Otherwise I don't think it's possible. I just want to go back to one thing you kind of subtly skipped over. You said you did a lot of crazy things that broke the internet. And then I just want to hear, what did you do? <laughs> Tell what me. did we not do? <laughs> that was more like uh, the crazy question. So I really have a passion for traveling and discovering cultures. And we always picked as our locations to get together places that might be a little bit unusual. So the first company trip, when we were six of us, we went to an ashram in India and uh, we prayed to the gods of uh, Indian cultures to help us with uh, uh, with a contract uh, that we were uh, trying to get at that time with Facebook and we got it. So we thought that it's really working this <laughs> this meditation and, and the, and the ashram uh, practice. That was the first one. It wasn't as uh, interesting, but we, we, it was still a lot of fun. We were in a van. We couldn't afford staying in fancy places. So we were in like... A <laughs> Or in interesting places, you know, driving with a little van with us. Um, afterwards, we uh, got a little bit more capital. So we managed to uh, go to uh, the opening of uh, clubs in Ibiza. Um, we've also had the beautiful uh, experience in Tulum. Tulum is a magical uh, place. Um, and uh, we take our employees and we make all sorts of contests around uh, playing music. And we make it all about fun not about to work. I think life is short and, you know, if we're not celebrating now, God knows if we're ever going to get to celebrate, you know? So we're kind of making it uh, uh, about celebration. The, the thing that got us most attention was a trip in the desert uh, in Morocco where we chartered some planes and got to uh, the Morocco desert. It was completely wild. <laughs> completely wild. I think I saw the LinkedIn post, by the way. Really well, really well <laughs> um, so the, you know, maybe going back to, you know, some of the things we wanted to kind of cover here today is really the orchestration of revenue streams, right? Or the, the orchestration of those motions. Um, it doesn't really only mean that, um, you know, things are happening in parallel or happening at the same time. They actually also need to play together to a degree, right? Um, and, uh, do you have uh, any specific examples or, or ways to kind of look at this, how to integrate all of these different 
you know, motions. And we, we talked about events. We talked about outbound. We talked about uh, basic customer advocacy. We talked about a couple of others. How do you how do you see all of these things working together? And you know, what 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 does someone need to keep in mind in order to make sure that uh, that this really you know produces music and not just you know noise in the end? Mm, the conductor. Being an orchestra conductor in this kind of complexity is tricky because at any point in time you get some additional uh, instrument that you might not have heard before and uh, the economy has this uh, humor on us where it keeps throwing uh, stones and pebbles that we've not heard the sound of before. I'll give some examples. So one big driver for us is partner. Um, we have two motions around partners. So we have a channel partner and we do have product partnerships as well that we do. And for both partner motions, uh, social and content play a big role. Um, so when we uh, onboard a new partner, we try to be creative in the ways where they might be included in a content piece or they might be included at an event or they might be included in a social media campaign. And um, it becomes tricky when you have hundreds of partners that you might be integrating with or hundreds of partners that you are getting to market from a channel perspective. And as a result, it requires a lot of creativity for ahead planning on the type of things that you can do together to highlight the best things that they, uh, they, can't, uh, they can be part of. Um, so for instance, Sasser is coming. We have a party at uh, Sasser with uh, many of our partners there and we're bringing common uh, prospects and customers to get together with us. And it requires them to have a certain kind of DNA that matches ours so that we can create the similar experiences. So I would say that it does require a lot of um, pre-planning and for uh, people that are working on these motions to know each other well enough and have very well-defined goals in order to find ways to work together well and metrics. I think another thing I was really curious about is where, you know, most companies they are now starting to look at next year in terms of what are they going to do? There's always going to be targets and a budget. And part of that will require a lot of companies to develop new motions. And I'm sure with the scale you're at now and the trajectory you're on, you're also considering what additional motions do we need to build out from, from basically bringing them from zero to one, right? How do you, how do you tackle that when you look at the year uh, and you need to deliver onto a target? Is, you know, do you kind of take it as we don't include it in, in that part and, you know, because there's still going to be a cost associated with it as well? So I'm a bit curious how you deal with basically developing motions and, and putting it into the plan. The answer to that is that I'm a lot more focused on skill sets than I am on um, anything else. And what I mean by that is the execution of these motions is highly dependable on the people on the team. And um, the people on the team are only um, going to figure out things and things change all the time in, in, in our industry. If they have certain skill sets. And um, now that 
with all these AI models, there are a lot of things that you can automate and there are a lot of things that you can take out of the day because you can have an image in a blog post. You don't have to spend a few hours to with a um, designer and that designer can focus on other things. I'm putting all my energy into developing the right skill sets for this era rather than focusing my entire energy on the motions of the era. Because I feel that if the people have the right skill sets, they will figure it out. And it's a game, the game of adaptability is a lot more important than the game of predictability. The, the predictability is a bit out of the window um, when it comes to the speed at which we're thrown AI tools. Um, so I, I would say that I'm a lot more focused on, on skill sets than anything else. Very interesting. Do you, just a quick follow-up on this one, is this, uh, I mean, this could be applied to both, right? The the go-to-market piece, but also the product piece itself, right? Is it, um, that's almost, that's almost to your point, hey, the team needs to have the skill set, how that this then is going to be applied, is it, is almost up to them, or at least then it's an option for the organization to apply it in the first place, right? But it's basically, <clears throat> uh, um, you know, using this understanding, using those new tools, um, is actually both for the go-to-market side and for the product side eventually. We do have, obviously, we have some high-level goals and and then high-level uh, drivers for the roadmap and for everything that we do. It's very complex because we have such a broad persona in our case because we target marketing teams, we target sales teams, we target uh, CS teams, uh, ops people. And because the buying cycle becomes complex, we don't target just the demand gen person. We tar target the CMO and we target the marketing ops and we target the product marketing sometimes even or the growth uh, marketer. And because we're the kind of tool that sits at the intersections of these the teams, because we're all about that um, efficiency in between the handoff that happens in the teams to make sure that the customer experience is, is, is paramount and it, that there's no lead left behind in that full end-to-end -end funnel. We have to pay attention to so many personas and to so many levels of um, seniority. And at the same time, our product has evolved from one product to many products that are not part of a platform. Every product requires a little bit of different messaging, a little bit of different value prop. We're targeting even the CFO. And um, the aim, for instance, for, for us is to create a PLG motion that allows every one of these personas to try the product before they do anything with Chili Piper. And because our product is so complex, it's so freaking hard to do that, to achieve both the create a product that's so complex that um, can satisfy all these business needs and yet be able to create that wow moment uh, from the time time first time they try and such a different entry point for we we're going to have a plg even for individual contributors that are um, sdrs account executives and ncs we have some metrics in place that we want to achieve with uh, this PLG motion per persona and per product. But how to figure out how to solve for that, those metrics is very complex and it's very hard to figure out. So as a result, as a founder, 
I can't figure out every path and I can't figure out every answer. What I can be maniacal about is how I can support them to figure out things on their own by developing the right mm -hmm. skill sets. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool. And I haven't heard that approach so many times, by the way. So I think that's a pretty cool way to to look at this problem challenge, but also this opportunity that's either at the doorstep right now or will be, you know, part of the expected playbook in the in a couple of months or years to come. Uh, I actually published a skill sets map for our marketing team on our website, and it's probably one of our top performing uh, articles. There you go. I uh, didn't expect that. The reason why I spent so much time thinking about it is because I was the first time. Right now, I'm I'm an acting uh, I'm acting CMO at Chili Pepper as well, and it was the first time that I was taking this role, and I was so amazed of how misunderstood marketing is in every organization in that every organization treats marketing so differently and the role so differently and even ownership for a landing page is a battle sometimes because if you have like an integration page is it a product marketing job is it a demand gen job is, 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 is it a partner marketing and things are so gray area in every possible uh, thing that you do that I felt I was um, so keen in understanding all the mechanics of it. And I felt it was all down to the skill sets of the people and the distribution of the tasks and emotions was uh, very um, dependent on the skill sets. And I wanted to understand better how to break them down and how to create a map for growing those skill sets and for people to understand what it takes to be promoted and what it takes to be in a senior level versus a junior level. So I'm still working on it, but I have developed like a blueprint of a V1 and it's one of our top articles on our, on our website. Pretty cool. Nice. I think we've covered quite a lot of ground already. I, I, would, I would like to ask kind of one, one other question that we have actually on this. If, if, you, knew, if you knew one thing back then in time before you went from a very straightforward approach of maybe it's events or for others it might be outbound maybe first or whatever it will be if you if you knew one thing that's gonna come up and and be uh, difficult to to execute and, and and therefore good to kind of think through before going multi-motion so to speak kind of multiple channels on your case even multiple products it's, it's very very similar almost to that what what would you what would you have given yourself of an advice and said like hey watch out for for this one thing before you consider making everything so complex everything so difficult but obviously that's necessary for for achieving scale whenever a new product we're launching a new product or we are setting a new motion we pick one thing that could measure the success of that motion and we don't try to boil the ocean to get there in that uh, we don't try to com to deploy complex tools or um, the complex things. I give one example. The um, This is a decision memo that was written last week. The decision memo was about, and anytime we make a decision, there's a document and everybody uh, adds the problem and the solutions and everybody contributes to the solution. The decision memo was about whether we should um, 
as we're preparing for PLG, whether we should ungate the demo on our website and create like a self-service demo as well. And uh, there was a lot of data to support that this is a good idea and a lot of tools and pricing for every tool that could uh, aid us in that. And um, the conclusion of the decision memo is that in order to uh, show efficiency, you don't really need a tool. You don't really need uh, something fancy. You just needed to do a video that shows the demo. And uh, the best way to see if um, the experiment is successful, you do an A-B test and you have a flow that goes directly to uh, QHMs with qualified health meetings so, or self-qualified meetings. And another path that... Um, Include that as part and see if you still get to that qualified meeting and with the same level of um, conversion rates. So it's a simple experiment that you can do without spending money, without uh, boiling the ocean, without uh, having uh, a lot of resources to test it out. So every experiment, every new motion, you pick one thing that you test and uh, you try to achieve it with the minimum, minimum effort. That's been yeah. my mantra from the beginning. There you go. I think that's powerful as well. I mean, I think it, it fits perfectly into also a bunch of the things we've discussed previously on the show. I mean, true story, when we started this show, we were sharing a microphone. Uh, you know, you, we didn't have all this fancy, fancy equipment <laughs> from, day, from day one, because if we didn't know how to talk once we hit record or it was terrible, what was oh, recorded? No one wanted to listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oi. Alina, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending the time letting us um, and, and everyone listening, having part of your of your wisdom. All the best of luck with Chili Piper going forward, obviously. And uh, this was uh, this was super insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael and Miguel and Tony for having me. I would do a little asterisk because I like asterisks. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that uh, wisdom comes from um, obviously wisdom comes from uh, being uh, exposed to many things at the speed that you feel uncomfortable. However, I am a lot more bullish on the importance of um, finding wisdom in, in peace of mind and joy. So I'm really uh, happy that both of you are paying attention to the joy part. So <laughs> the delight was all, uh, all mine. Wonderful. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alida. And uh, thank you everyone.